There have been reports of spiritual abuse and abuse of power at Bethlehem Baptist Church, the church John Piper pastored for over 30 years. Three pastors have resigned, hundreds of members have left, but why? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and joining me today is a couple, Steve and Jeanette Takata, who unwittingly found themselves at the epicenter of the storm at Bethlehem. Steve Takata is a longtime member who had attended Bethlehem Baptist since grade school and whose father sits on the elder board. Jeanette has been attending Bethlehem since 2003, when she moved to Minneapolis to complete an internship. For many years, the Takatas enjoyed rich fellowship and teaching at the church. But over the past few years, they have become increasingly concerned about the church's handling of race issues, its treatment of women, and the relationship between the church and its associated ministries, especially Bethlehem College and Seminary. But the Takatas were not alone in their concerns. Unbeknownst to them, there had been two investigations the previous summer. One involved allegations of a toxic environment at Bethlehem College and Seminary. Those allegations were dismissed when the investigation found no evidence of any unlawful actions by the college and seminary. Another investigation involved allegations of spiritual abuse by Bethlehem College and Seminary Professor Andy Nacelli, who's also an elder at Bethlehem Baptist. That investigation also ended in the school dismissing the allegations against Nacelli. According to my guests, none of these developments were announced to the church. So with these issues and others you'll hear about in just a moment, simmering beneath the surface, the Takatas proposed two motions at a church meeting on January 31st of last year. And boom, it was like a bomb went off. You'll hear what happened in just a moment. But first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marcorda Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marcourt of Barrington. Marcourt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marcourt, are men of character. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me are Steve and Jeanette Takata, both former longtime members of Bethlehem Baptist Church. But as I mentioned, much has changed in this past year, and I know it's been an extremely rough year for both of you. So thank you so much for being willing to come on this podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, Stephen, Jeanette, your story uh, isn't just your story. It really exposes how Bethlehem Baptist Church treats people who come to them and have grievances. It also shows how the church responds to complaints about elders. And so we're going to be talking a lot about personal matters and things that happened with you and your situation. But again, a big part of the reason that I wanted to bring you on was because I feel like it's so indicative of what you allege and many others have alleged is a larger pattern. And I want to mention, too, that I have reached out to the elders numerous times and asked for them to interview with me, asked for comments. Uh, I haven't gotten any on-the-record comments. And I did reach out to Andy Nacelli, who is going to be featured in this podcast, and asked if he would like to interview. So far, he has not responded to me at all. So that invitation has been extended. 
So what I'd like to do is back up to the weeks and months before this really, what turned out to be a very cataclysmic meeting on January 31st. And at that time, as I'm understanding, you had a growing sense of discomfort with some things at the church. And it was in relation to three areas, ethnic harmony, race relations, and then how the church and uh, its associated ministries, how they related to each other. So Steve, let me just start with you in that area of ethnic harmony. What were some of the concerns that you had about the way that the, the church was handling that? For a long time, Bethlehem has had one of their emphases as a church be racial reconciliation or ethnic harmony. But I think for a long time, there has been limited diversity in the leadership of our church. There was a group of members that we were familiar with that had brought these concerns to the elder council and had formed what was known then or what was uh, developed as an ethnic harmony task force. We had learned just through sort of personal acquaintances that they were looking to identify, are there root problems, are there barriers that make it difficult for people of color to be considered to be a part of the leadership of the church. And that ethnic harmony task force, that kind of resolved without people knowing about it or what the, the outcome was. I mean, is that correct? The church was kind of in the dark as to what actually happened. Is that correct? Yeah. The, the only things that we knew about the ethnic harmony task force was because we had friends that were a part of the group. We had heard enough to know that these were members that had gone to the elder council directly and said, we have some questions, we have some concerns. And as we understood at the time that that task force was created, the elder council unanimously voted to form this task force. And then we also understood that members and elders from all three of Bethlehem's campuses participated in this ethnic harmony task force. And then later we found out that the task force had been disbanded and very limited or almost no information was publicly presented from the church about the things that the task force found or didn't find. And Jeanette, your concerns, I'm sure you shared the concerns that Stephen had as well with Ethnic Harmony, but there's also concerns in the area of women. So what were your concerns in that area? So I co-led a ministry at the downtown campus for six years. We were structurally underneath the Minister for Women. And in those six years, we pretty much had a different Minister for Women every single year. There was no female deacons at the downtown campus. There was very rarely a woman praying on stage or reading scripture and you could see the vacancy of women in even volunteer roles of leadership on a Sunday morning. And then there was a very explosive podcast, a man rampant, it's called. It's, it's one done by very controversial pastor, Doug Wilson, who happens to be a mentor of Joe Rigney, who now is the president of Bethlehem College and Seminary. This man rampant episode it was called The Sin of Empathy. I've listened to it. I can understand why women especially 
would be concerned. But I think even just the topic of the sin of empathy, calling empathy, which I think most of us consider a beautiful thing that that humans do, that you know, enables us to relate to someone else and understand them, uh, was labeled a sin. And so I want to play just a clip of that because I know that also provided the pretext of, of what happened at this January uh, 31st meeting. So take a listen. The Bible commands us to be uh, uh, sympathetic because the it's compassion, right? So right. sympathy and compassion are, are the same. Um, it's the same word. So they, they, um, one's Latin, one's Greek, and it means to suffer with. And okay. the empathy is this more modern term. It was like invented um, in like the 20th century. It's not like this ancient word or this old, older thing. Um, it's invented in the 20th century and it means to suffer in. So that's kind of the key like linguistic deal. And I think most people then would say, well, if you, if you have the choice between just suffering with someone or suffering in them, like really that there's a sense of we really get into somebody, we really enter into their pain and their They're grief. drowning, you go in headlong into you, the you river go, with them. Go, exactly, you, right. you dive in there and, and you're all in. And we think this is better. This is a, a better virtue. This is more virtuous than mere sympathy because sympathy kind of feels like pity and, and nobody likes to feel pitied. We don't want people to feel bad. Sympathy feels like you've got your foot on the shore reaching a handout. That's exactly right. Acting better than they are. That's right. And, and I think that, and that actually is the most relevant difference between them because um, so empathy is the sort of thing that you've got someone drowning or they're in quicksand and they're sinking. And what empathy wants to do is jump into the quicksand with them, both feet. And, and it feels like that's going to be more loving because they're going to feel like, I'm glad that you're here with me in the quicksand. The problem is you're both now sinking. Right. Right. Whereas if you do, um, I'm going to keep one foot on the shore and I'm actually going to grab onto this big branch and then I'll step one foot in there with you and try to pull you out. Right. Um, that's sympathy. And that's that's actually helpful. But to the person who's in there, it can feel like you're judging me. So sympathy is clearly hierarchical. Right. right. It, it implies and implies that one person is the hurting and one person is the helper. What concerns you about this particular podcast? Two things really rose to the surface beyond the clip that you shared. And one is that women are not regarded as credible. They're emotionally manipulative. They might be telling the truth if they're claiming abuse, but they might, but. Um, and so that really bothered a lot of women that I had talked to. I didn't hear anyone say, I actually agree with this um, from a woman's perspective. And so there was a rumbling of, of us from that perspective. The second thing was that Bethlehem had hosted a abuse seminar called Recognizing and Responding to Abuse on June 1st of that same year. And when I heard the Sin of Empathy episode contrasted with a two-day conference at Bethlehem that I attended on how to recognize and respond to abuse, the two stand in stark contrast. And this gets into another issue that you were bringing up, because here you have a president at the time that the episode came out, Joe Rigney wasn't the president of Bethlehem College and Seminary, but then he became the president. And it's like, is now Bethlehem, because the, the, the school is associated with Bethlehem, is it endorsing w what he said there? Do we need to separate from it? And so that kind of brings us to the motions that you brought on, on January 31st. And this was at something called a quarterly strategic meeting or QSM. We're going to use that term QSM. Uh, so people should be aware of it. 
But Bethlehem has more than 40 elders, but the final word on things is the congregation, or at least in theory, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. And so you have these quarterly meetings where you hear motions and you vote on them. And so you decided to bring some motions. One, Steve, your motion related to the, the Ethnic Harmony Task Force and what happened there, would you just say what your motion was? My motion was, I, I don't have the exact text in front of me, but it was, I move that the elders of Bethlehem Baptist Church release the full unedited reports from the Ethnic Harmony Task Force that were created in the, in the following year. And these reports shall be released by such and such a date. This motion of the two motions, you were kind of thinking this might be the more explosive. We're talking racial issues in Minnesota, of all places, where it's extremely tense. This would probably be the one that would generate the most heat. Surprisingly, it, it didn't, from my understanding, correct? I asked Steve to go first. I thought my the motion that I was going to bring up would be around a topic that was largely unknown. It would be a quick up or down vote. Either people are aware and they vote based on their awareness or they're not aware and they vote based on any conversation about the motion one way or another. So describe what your motion was. So my motion was requesting that Bethlehem the elders of Bethlehem make a written public statement separating the views of Dr. Joe Rigney in Man Rampant Season 1, Episode 1, Sin of Empathy, from the views and teachings of Bethlehem Baptist Church. And such a statement should be made. I think it was no later than May 31st, 2021, the day before Dr. Rigney assumes office as president of BCS. And I have described the response as like a bomb went off. I don't think I'm being overdramatic there, but you describe what happened and what was the impact. I learned later that you're not supposed to speak to your motion first. You're supposed to give the motion and then speak to it. And we did it backwards. So we spoke to why we were bringing the motion and then stated the motion. And while the clerk and audiovisual team were trying to get the motion in written form on the large screen, so all three campuses. The chair elder said, you can speak to your motion. So I gave a little bit more background. And then what happens is each campus, because this QSM was live streamed to two other campuses. So you're permitted to speak to a motion kind of in a merry-go-round cycle, starting with the North Campus, then downtown, then South. And one person can speak. And then that allows equal opportunity for all three campuses to participate in the discussion. So I spoke to my motion, I sat down, and then it was North Campus's turn first. And? And Andy Nacelli got up and essentially said three sentences and sat down, and there was complete silence. So Andy Nacelli is an elder at North Campus. He's also a Bethlehem College and Seminary professor, but I, I would say he's not just a Bethlehem College and Seminary professor. He had a position of prominence, or has position of prominence there. And I think the school following John Piper resigning, not just as uh, the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist, but also I believe he's the chancellor of, of Bethlehem uh, College and Seminary. You know, he's stepping back from his role. And so in, in a way, 
Andy was, as I've talked to a lot of students, the one to sort of fill those shoes at the college and seminary, as Jason Meyer was sort of the one at the church who filled that preaching role that John Piper had held. So him speaking carries a lot of weight. He gets up and the three sentences he utters are, I am the author of the review that I had cited. Uh, it's a five-star review and he names himself as a professor of New Testament theology and a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church. So his Amazon Prime profile links him directly to the church, but not to the college and seminary. So he says, I'm that person who wrote that review. I'm speaking against this motion. And if this motion passes, I will resign as an elder. And what was the effect of that statement? I think to me, just sitting in the room was shock. I don't understand this reaction. I don't understand putting yourself out there as a leader and using your position as a leader to say, I'm going to quit if this motion doesn't go the way I think it should. In a sense, it put everybody back on their heels. Like, what just happened? It kind of concludes with this up in the air. It's not like there's a vote taken on the motion. Is that correct? So, yeah, part of what happened was a woman at the South Campus that got up next and said, uh, hang on a second. I've I've got a question for Andy. Like, what do you what do you mean by that? Andy gets back up to the microphone and says a few more clarifying things, gives a couple of points from the episode as explanation for why he would disagree with the motion, and then reiterates that he would resign if the motion passes. I recall him saying something to the effect of the way that this discussion is going is exactly what the episode is talking about. And because I had seen the episode, I immediately resonated with, he's calling me an emotional manipulator. Hmm. That's, that is exactly what I heard when he related the discussion to the episode. Is hmm. hold up, don't have empathy with Jeanette. She is trying to use emotions to get the congregation to vote in a particular way. When an elder says, I'm going to resign if this motion passes, who's going to pass that motion? Nobody wants to be responsible for his resignation. So after this meeting, I'm guessing you guys are somewhat in shell shock. In that week after, did many people reach out to you or what was the, the buzz like? A couple people that night said, thank you. It was tabled. And we were assured as a congregation that we would take it up at the next meeting. So that's where it left. Then the next morning, Steve started emailing pastors and I was still in shock. You didn't find out about this till much later, but Andy sent an email to all of the elders and you, you then got a copy of it, which I've read. You've read, obviously. And in it, he, he does state that he regrets threatening to resign at the QSM meeting, and he apologizes for doing that, kind of recognizing that wasn't a helpful thing. But then he states, there are, quote, left-leaning folks who are virtually unappeasable in the church. And then he mentions some of your, Jeanette, Facebook and blog posts, one that divulged that you voted Democrat in 2020. So let me just stop there and let you respond to that. I mean, Jeanette, 
How did you feel about being characterized that way? But also, I know there's a whole bunch of people listening, and this is a big part of why we're doing this podcast, who are just really confused because they're like, okay, clearly there were some ideological differences going on here, but then there's abuse and all this other stuff. You know, was this really just an ideological difference between you, who is more left-leaning, as he puts it, and uh, conservatives at the church? Well, keep in mind, we didn't know what he was saying at the time. You know, all we had was what was public. And that's still all that the church has. So this podcast is going to help reveal a, a lot more of the things that happened behind the scenes. Wow. Left-leaning, great. Right-leaning, forward-leaning, backwards-leaning. Like, why does that matter in my standing before Christ? And unappeasable. Does Andy know you? Did he know you at that point at all? No, not at all. We later learned that he was given that Facebook post, which is public. It's on a public setting and it's still there because I won't remove it. He was shown that by a member of the church. And he took that Facebook post that he disagrees with and did not come to me. And neither did that member. And mm -hmm. he took it to Jason Meyer. And at the time, he was the pastor for preaching and vision at the downtown campus. Which is the campus you attend. Yes. And so later we learned members would say, I have a problem with how you responded at the January 31st QSM or the email that you sent out with your apology. Can we talk? He made prolific offers to meet with people. And in doing so was when he would bring up this Facebook post hmm. of mine. And he mischaracterized what Jason's response was. So Jason's response was, we don't discipline our members over how they vote. Andy's characterization of what Jason said was, I'm on it. How do you know that? Um, I didn't find out until Andy met with a member for one of these, you know, reconciliation type meetings. And the member's wife sent me a text and said, did you disobey a pastor? And... Did you disparage people on Facebook? Okay, let's table that because we are going to get to that discussion because I know that's a, that's a big part of how this, this thing unfolded. But back to how did I feel about that? We don't sign anything in our membership commitments to vote a certain way, to lean a certain way. That really shouldn't have been a disciplinable offense for me to write a Facebook post on how I voted. And to call me unappeasable, very uncharitable judgment. So Andy then explains in this letter to the elders why your motion, Jeanette, uh, is concerning to him. Quote, it is not a motion that edifies. It is more like a grenade launching. And this is something that uh, a term he will use in another meeting, which we'll get to. The attitude behind the motion is disrespectful to the elders and, quote, too easily offended or hurt the very issue that Rigney addresses in the sin of empathy. And then he says the motion drives a wedge between BBC and BCS, Bethlehem College and Seminary. Quote, once she made that motion, I resolved that we must not give in. Her motion attempts to drive a wedge between Bethlehem Baptist Church and Bethlehem College and Seminary. Again, you didn't find out about this uh, letter to the elders until about four months, I think, after it was sent. Obviously, you don't like the characterizations that were made of you in that letter. But also, 
it's my understanding that before you even made the motion, so this idea that you were disrespectful to elders, before you even made this motion, didn't you go to the elders and seek their input? Yes. In advance of the January QSM, probably around the beginning of the year, we had a Zoom call with two of our pastors downtown asking for some feedback. And did any of them say, this is a really bad idea, don't do it? We were asked, would you bring it just to the downtown campus? And our reply was, we can't because we've been told you can't bring any new business to a campus-specific meeting because it could deleteriously affect the other two campuses. You vote on something binding and they're not even aware. And did the elder understand that and agree that yes. that was necessary? Yes. Okay. And that later was used against us that we, we disobeyed him because he told us not to do it or asked us not to do it. So that would be an unfair characterization of what happened. Yes. Andy then sends a letter to the full congregation at Bethlehem. And it's different than the elder letter. It does have a, a similar apology, but it's it also offers what seems like a justification for what he did. And then he kind of reiterates it. And, and I will quote uh, from that letter. He said, I didn't intend to make a threat or to make a power play. I intended to convey that I steadfastly refused to be part of what I perceived to be a kind of, and then he quotes, cancel culture. And that if my fellow pastors would endorse such an approach, and I highly doubt they would, I would not be able to serve alongside them in a good conscience any longer. It's my fault for not speaking with helpful clarity in the moment. I shared a conclusion without clearly explaining reasons that I am not in favor of a motion, and I regret it. How did that apology strike the both of you? A couple of things that stand out to me. One was an inaccurate representation of our intent in bringing this motion. I made it very clear from the microphone at the QSM that this motion is not in any way to cancel Joe Rigney. We made it very clear, explicitly clear, our intent is for a statement separating the views, not denouncing the views, not endorsing the views. These are words that I used at the QSM. Our intent in this motion is to say, Joe Rigney believes this thing, and Bethlehem Baptist Church may or may not believe these things. There's a separation. The main other thing that stood out to me from that letter was not only reiterating his own personal position and that he would resign, but putting the entire elder council behind him, in effect. I don't agree with this, and I doubt the rest of the elders would either. Which sounds like he's speaking for the he, rest of the elders. He so, it sounds like he is placing the entire weight of the elder council on his side, saying that this is the only right way to view this thing. And that's the other thing that stood out to me as so concerning, was aren't all of us filled with the Holy Spirit? Aren't all believers indwelt? by the living God and have the ability and the opportunity to come before the throne and speak truth and discern truth? Why is it that it appears as though only the elder council has the right view on this matter? So I did mention that some of these same themes come up again, but this 
isn't in something that was public to everybody in the church, but a meeting at Bethlehem College and Seminary of the, the faculty and staff. This was on February 10th. So this is the next day after sending this apology. Andy gets up and I have audio of that meeting and I'm going to play it. Uh, but before I do, he mentioned somebody in this clip, Jonathan Bowers. Jonathan Bowers was a teacher at Bethlehem College and Seminary for 10 years or, or more. So he resigned saying that there was a toxic culture there. And, and I'm curious how much of that, I know John Piper at some point responded to Jonathan's allegation that there was a toxic culture there. How much did you know about what happened with Jonathan uh, at this point? Very little. So we're really good friends with the Bowers. Our youngest, their oldest, have gone to school together. But keep in mind that there is such a high regard by members to honor the Lord in what we do. We believe when we sign the relational commitments with covenant membership, that that's because we're trying to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. So even if the Bowers shared some stuff with us, they really didn't share personal things. So we would, we would not have seen, did not see John Piper's email. That was only shared internally to BCS. Oh, interesting. Okay. We were at least aware that Jonathan had resigned from BCS and that it didn't appear to be a amicable parting of ways. I bring that up because, again, this is mentioned in a brief statement, really, that Andy makes, but he does reveal how he feels about Jonathan Bowers because he likens Bowers to an enemy who launches a grenade because he says, your motion, Jeanette, was, quote, Jonathan Bowers 2.0. And then he likens his response at the January 31 meeting to jumping on a grenade. So again, we see that term reprised. But there are things in this clip that also seems to frame you as a threat, Jeanette. I mean, again, referring to some Facebook posts, but also Andy shares what sounds like personal pastoral type information, which I understand is incorrect, but I'll let you talk about it after we play it. But then he says at the very beginning, you can almost miss this, but he says, I don't want a paper trail for this comment, which seems to indicate that maybe he realizes this is not a thing that should be said publicly before however many staff and faculty of Bethlehem College and Seminary there. So I'm going to play it and, and then we can discuss. I don't want to write this out because I don't want a paper trail for this comment. Uh, but I want to share a few what was going through my mind with me. Uh, at the back of a month, another uh, member sent me a Facebook post by Jeanette Takata that I never met, I've never met her still. I often meet with her. Um, so that was my first exposure. It was kind of an inflammatory, oh, kind of Facebook post, uh, which is like calling out John Piper and John MacArthur and Wayne Burden and Al Bowler's being bad. And it, you know, I was like, wow. So I sent it to Jason Meyer. I said, hey, I don't know this person. Looks like she's a downtown attender. She's like, I'm on it. I think, I think she and her husband are on their way out of the church. He said it. So I'm like, oh, okay. So that's all I knew about her. So then in the meeting, Hi, my name is Nekka Like, the antenna goes up, bing, and then I start to hear the motion, and I'm like, this is Jonathan Bowers 2.0, what he did in here, and he walked out. So I thought, I'm going to go jump on the grenade. That's, that's about all the thought I gave to it. I wish I could redo it, but that's some of what was in the, going on in the background of my, my head as this unfolds. So, Jeanette, 
How does it feel to hear an elder of yours, a, a shepherd, talk about you in this way publicly? Which at this point, again, have you had any conversations? He says in that clip that he's offered to meet with me, which was true. And we were getting it on the, the calendar to be able to meet together. He doesn't remember an interaction that we had, and it's irrelevant. So according to his own words, he didn't know me. And there's so many of the basic membership commitments in the church covenant that he's violated in this one or two minute clip. And it's just another example of how members are held to a higher standard than even our elders, which is biblically opposite. Well, and, and let me mention that that relational commitment, because that comes up uh, a number of times in and it encourages members to follow Matthew 18, which says, go to the person and, you know, one-on-one, -on -one. then if they don't listen to you, bring another person. And then if they still won't listen to you, bring it before the whole church, which I wish churches would distinguish between that, which deals with personal offenses and first Timothy 520, which deals with elders who are sinning totally different thing that you're supposed to do with elders who are sinning. You're supposed to publicly expose them so that others may stand in fear. So if you have a, a problem with an ill elder sinning or something like that, you absolutely may go to the church uh, or to leadership. And you, it's not necessarily following a Matthew 18 process. But again, that's what you're referring to is this relational commitment, which you're admonished numerous times to follow, but he isn't necessarily. The simplified phrase from our relational commitments is we will talk to one another, not about one another. And this is the opposite of what that plainly worded statement would call for. Andy is in the presence of, I'm not sure how many people in this room at Bethlehem College and Seminary talking about my wife, not talking to her. So in addition to not following the relational commitments, you'll hear culture war type language grenade, blow up, and then he just left. And all of this wasn't known to us at the time. We were just trying to be faithful in walking forward each step of the way. We did not know about this conversation at all until March 15th. And that was after we had submitted grievances of specific sins against uh, Andy Nacelli or directly to him. And this, this statement that he makes that you were on your way out of the church, any truth to that? That was a private conversation between myself and a pastor who is named in that. And we were talking about what the, the next year would hold. And I privately said to him, this would be my last year co-leading a ministry. My oldest will be a senior and we would pursue possibly looking at a different church that was more diverse because of the ethnic makeup of my family. It was a possible thing. And I was committing to as long as I'm here at this church, I am 100% in. And when that conversation happened in August, none of this was on the radar. That was before Jonathan Bowers even resigned in October. So that conversation between member and pastor was number one, should have been elder privileged. And number two was way before any of this. So again, it just keeps getting taken out of context in a way that's defamatory to me. And the other thing I just want to say is, I mean, there's a there's a beauty in, in hindsight that we don't get in the moment, which I'm really grateful for, because had I known all of these things in real time, I probably would have lost my mind and not handled this 
uh, remotely close to kind. But Bethlehem College and Seminary did in fact have an investigation into illegal workplace culture, toxic workplace culture. And when I listen to this clip, I think, wow, nothing illegal happened in that moment. But I was shamed at the January QSM. I was made an example of. You bring a motion and an elder is going to speak against it and, and threaten to resign. Who wants to ever bring a motion again? And then he disparages me in Bethlehem College and Seminary faculty and staff meeting and Jonathan Bowers. He is making an example of both a member and a former colleague. Don't you dare. So sure, nothing illegal happened, but does it mean that there's not a toxic workplace environment? And when he says, I don't want a paper trail, then everybody in that room knows, don't you repeat what I'm saying right now. There were elders that are on faculty and staff. There are elders in that room that heard that conversation and they never had a problem with it. They're not the ones that reported it. As I understand, Daniel Clevin, who was on staff there, is the one who did report this and they even went to Andy and, and Andy did eventually offer an apology. That was on April 15th after we went before the entire elder council. So all of these things are happening. Again, you don't know about the BCS meeting at the time it happened, but you did learn about a private conversation that Andy had with uh, some members at the church. Would you explain how you learned of that conversation and, and what was re relayed to you happened during that conversation? I got a text message from a friend who asked if I disobeyed a pastor by bringing the motions and what horrible things I said on Facebook. And she wasn't even clear. Was it about Annie Nacelli? Was it about Douglas Wilson? Was it about Joe Rigney? What had I said? She was really concerned that I had sinned and wanted to go right to me right away and check in on me and see what happened. I was totally shocked. And I'm like, I haven't said anything about them on Facebook. And so I wound up scrubbing my page um, through a search function just to see, have I ever talked about Douglas Wilson? Have I ever talked about Joe Rigney? Have I ever talked about Andy Nacelli? What, what could she possibly be talking about? I did know what she was referencing in disobeying a pastor. And I was able to quickly refute that. What was she referencing? If the pastors that we met with prior to bringing the motions had asked us or told us not to bring the motions. It was a conversation between her husband and Andy. Her husband was okay. concerned about mm -hmm. what he said at the QSM and in his apology email. And mm -hmm. so Andy made prolific offers to meet with anyone. And this mm -hmm. husband took him up on it and met with him. And he used that time instead of talking about his own heart to disparage myself and Jonathan Bowers. This member later said it sounded like it was a rehearsed speech. And then when we found the situation at the college and seminaries faculty and staff meeting in July of this year, I was told it happened to other members. When you say it, you mean Andy said similar things. And, and just to be specific, he alleged that and the reason I, I'm, I'm saying this is because he, he admits this later on. So this isn't just a secondhand or thirdhand report we're, we're talking about here. He later admits that he did this, that he 
told people that Jason Meyer had told you not to bring this motion and you were disobeying Jason Meyer by bringing the motion to the table on January 31st. Yes. And he mentions my Facebook post to people. Did, did Andy ever accuse you to your face or talk to you to your face about these things? Never once. Never once. So what was the impact? It, it broke relationships because an elder's word was believed over a member's. We were never given an opportunity to defend ourselves. I mean, my friend texted me, but others took his word as truth. I eventually counted at least three occasions in four months, January to April, where Andy repeated something that happened, what he heard happened in a private meeting. And his mischaracterization was taken as the truth over the actual pastor and actual church member who were in the direct conversation themselves. So his hearsay and his misrepresentation of hearsay was taken as truth against firsthand accounts of the people that were in the conversations. Well, this concludes part one of our podcast on what really happened at Bethlehem Baptist Church. In part two, you'll hear actual audio of what was billed as a peacemakers meeting between Steve and Jeanette Takata and Andy Nacelli. In that meeting, Andy says he regrets certain behaviors, but he adds that he can't apologize and ask forgiveness for those behaviors because he didn't intentionally sin against the Takatas. It would be so, so relieving to just say, please forgive me for X, Y, Z, and shake hands or hug and move on. But I, I, I'm afraid that if I did that at this point, I would be lying to make peace, and I can't do that because I have zero ill intent against you. In part two, you'll also hear how the elders at Bethlehem responded to the many grievances brought by the Takatas and others. You'll also hear how the elders responded when the Takatas asked for an independent investigation. Again, these are not just personal issues between the Takatas and Bethlehem, but as the Takatas allege, they're evidence of a much larger pattern of spiritual abuse and protection at the church. Thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce. If you'd like to connect with me online, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. That's julieroyce.com. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Hope you have a great day and God bless. Mm -hmm.